0: and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. So this is week two of our summer special. I'm glad you appreciated the um, the train picture that was created by me. Aren't I talented? I could type into Midjourney AI retro picture of a train, and he went. Oh, said, oh that would do. Click. <laughs> But during our summer special, we set aside our big preaching plan. The the regulars will know that we're halfway through our 17 and a half year preaching series. (laughs) Feels like that, doesn't it? We're well into year two of going through Luke and Acts verse by verse. But during August, we're having the summer special. So each week, whoever's preaching is just bringing what God has laid on their hearts uh, for you. So today, I want to talk to you about what it means to be the anointed. What does it mean to be the anointed? Isaiah 61 goes like this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those who are bound. Today we're going to explore what it means to be anointed. So taking a hint from the Hebrew, the word for anoint, in Hebrew, is masa, masah, m-a-s-m-a-s-a-h, Masah, and it means to smear something with oil. For example, when Moses was giving the instructions of how to set up the tabernacle, the portable temple that the children of Israel took around the, the, um, the desert with them, uh, the sacred elements in that holy space, this is what he says, Exodus 29. This is the ceremony you must follow when you consecrate Aaron as the high priest and his sons to serve his priests. Take a young bull and two rams with no defects. Then, using choice wheat, flour, and no yeast, make loaves of bread, thin cakes, thin cakes mixed with oil, and wafers spread with oil. Wafers spread with oil. Wafers, massa spread with oil. And a few verses later, the same. A root word is used to describe the pouring of oil on Aaron's head to anoint him as high priest. So how do we get from rubbing oil on your bread to oil running down Aaron's beard? And why does oil represent something special in God's kingdom? Where does this idea originate and what does it mean for us today? The answer to these questions and more in today's edition of the Hope Church Summer Special. But before we dive into that let me tell you a story about a couple who had some bad news from their doctor. They could not have children and on the way home from the doctor's appointment they realized they were going near to their pastor's house so they decided to drop in to see the pastor and ask him for some prayer. They knocked on the front door there was no answer and then they could hear some clattering noises coming from the garage next door. So they went around So the guys they looked in, and there was the pastor working on his car. The bonnet was open, and he was giving it a service. And they explained the situation, and the pastor felt led to pray for them there and then on the spot. He looked round for some oil to anoint them with, and all he could find was a can of three-in-one. So he quickly blessed it, and he anointed them with the oil. Sure enough, about nine months later, the couple turned up to church with their triplets, And once again, after church, they showed up again at the pastor's home. And as soon as the woman saw the pastor, she ran up to him and gave him a great big hug and thanked him for his prayers. And he said, what was that all about? She said, well, pastor, I'm just so glad that you three in one and not a can of (laughs) WD-40. So let's talk about the first anointing that we find in scripture. And it involves Jacob. And it happens something like this. After Jacob had manipulated his brother Esau out of his inheritance, Jacob ran away in fear of his life. And we pick up the story in Genesis 28. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and travelled towards Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up a camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. And as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. And up up, at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. Yahweh himself was stood there at the top of the stairway. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac, the ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you. And your descendants, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust on the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, the east, the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What is more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. So then Jacob, he awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. Just pause there for a second. There's a whole other sermon. But spot those times in your life when the Lord was in that place and you were not even aware of it until maybe hindsight. And you look back and you see what God was doing. Anyway, verse 17. But Jacob, he was also afraid. and He said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So the next morning, Jacob, he got up early. He took the stone he had rested his head upon. He set it upright as a memorial pillar and he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God. It used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. He said, if God is indeed with me, he'll protect me on my journey. If he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I've set up will become a place of worshipping God. And I'll present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So Jacob, he pours oil on the stone pillar as a way of Marking as a way of recognising that he was in a special place. He called it the house of God. He called it Bethel. It was a place where heaven and earth connected. A place where the mundane was able to connect with the spiritual and the heavenly. It was a place where humans encountered the divine God. Now the next time we encounter anything or anyone being anointed is during the consecration of the tabernacle. After the children of Israel had escaped from Egypt, they crossed through the Red Sea. Now, I read some of this a uh, little bit earlier, but it's a lot more comprehensive. The anointing of the people and the various implements, the furniture, the altars, all within this holy tent, where God would meet with his priests and accept their sacrifice and worship, they were all anointed with oil, massa, smeared with oil. And the very act of anointing these people, the act of anointing these things, it was declaring that they were special. That they occupied a special place in the intersection between heaven and earth. The tabernacle was Israel's mobile temple. A place for them where heaven and earth met. A place where God met with his priests and his prophets. It was set aside for this purpose. And to be set aside is what the word holy means. Something that is holy is something that has been set aside for God's divine purposes. Now the anointing they used in the temple was not ordinary olive oil. Yahweh gave Moses a recipe for a special anointing oil that was full of fragrance and spice and the aroma would have filled the whole tent. Exodus 30, the Lord said to Moses, collect together choice spices, 12 and a half pounds of pure myrrh, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant calamus, 12 and a half pounds of cassia, as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. Get one gallon of olive oil and like a skilled incense maker, blend these ingredients together to make a holy anointing oil. Then use this sacred oil to anoint the tabernacle The Ark of the Covenant, this is pre-Indiana Jones, but this is where the the tablets were kept um, that had the Ten Commandments on them. The the, the table that was there in the tabernacle, the utensils, the lampstand, all of its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offering, all of its utensils, the washbasin and its stand. Consecrate them. Make them holy. And after them, whatever touches them will also become holy. And then anoint Aaron, who would be high priests and his sons consecrate them to serve me as priests says God and say to the people of Israel this holy anointing will be reserved for me from generation to generation you must never be used to anoint anyone else I and mean, you must never make a blend like it for yourselves it is holy you must treat it as holy so the, the things and the places and the people that were anointed were seen as special they were holy they were set apart for God The people, the places, the furniture, everything that was anointed was set apart from God. And it was not just the high priest who was anointed to consecrate them, if you like, into God's service. Kings were anointed. Prophets were anointed as well. The prophet Samuel anointed Saul to declare him as the first king over all of Israel. 1 Samuel 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. That's on Saul. Saul's head, not Samuel's head. And he kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you, massard you, to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has massah, anointed you to be the prince over his heritage. Anointing. Masa, smeared with oil. And after Saul came David. Again, the prophet Samuel went to visit Jesse, and he said, oh, are these all the sons that you have?" And Jesse said, "Well, there's still the young one. He's out in the fields watching the sheep. Send for him at once," Samuel said. "We will not sit down and eat until he arrives." So Jesse sent for him. For David, he was dark, he was handsome, and he had beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, "This is the one. Anoint him." So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took a flask of olive oil that he brought in. He anointed David with the oil. He massared him. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day. So David was anointed to be God's king over Israel. The one set apart for God's divine purposes. The one who would represent heaven upon the earth. And there's a Hebrew word for someone who has been anointed. Someone who's received the massa. Who can tell me what the Hebrew word is for the anointed one? Messiah, yes. Comes from the same root word. Masah is to anoint. Messiah is one who has been anointed. So throughout the history of Israel, God has provided his people with a Messiah. Saul was the first. David was the second. And others followed. Some kings, some prophets. Some of them did not work out like Saul. Some were not even Jewish. Cyrus, the Persian king, was called Yahweh's anointed one. In Isaiah 51, this is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralysed with fear. In Hebrew, it says, thus says Yahweh to his Messiah, to Cyrus. In Chronicles, God's prophets are called Anointed ones as well. Chronicle 1 Chronicle 16, it says, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. In Hebrew, touch not my messiahs. So at different points in the history of the Jewish people, God would appoint someone to be his special instrument of divine purpose in that season. This was the messiah, the person anointed and appointed for God's plans and purposes in that season so when we read the Gospels about the Jewish hope for the Messiah we need to keep in mind that from a Jewish perspective they're waiting for their next Messiah the the Messiah who would be the anointed one for their point in history the one appointed to serve out God's plans and purposes in their current season we touched on this way back at the start of Luke's Gospel about 19 months ago, when Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus to the temple to present it to the Lord, they encounter a man called Simeon. who was a righteous and devout man who had been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Luke 2. And God had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, interestingly enough, if we read that verse in a different Translation like the ESV, for example, it says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It says Christ, not Messiah. Well, Messiah is the Hebrew word, it's the word used in the Old Testament. But the New Testament, which is originally written in Greek, not Hebrew, the word used is Christ, not Messiah. But it means the same thing. It's just the word that means the anointed one. In Hebrew, the word is Messiah. In Greek, the word is Christ. It comes from the verb, verb Christo, which means to rub something with oil. Right? So very often we use Jesus Christ as if we're saying his full name. Yeah, Jesus, the son of Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. But that's not how it works. Christ is not Jesus' name, it's his title. And if we rendered it fully into English, we would say something more like Jesus, the anointed one of God. That's what Jesus Christ means. Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Christ, the Messiah, means the same thing, just two different languages, meaning God's anointed one. The one who is set apart for God's divine purposes. The one who represents heaven upon earth. But something changed. You see, Jesus was the last Jewish Messiah. Because the job of being set apart for God's divine purpose, the job of representing heaven upon the earth, was about to be handed over. And the process started with Jesus' declaration to Peter. He said, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, the very last Messiah of Israel was Jesus of Nazareth. Because under the new covenant, under the new relationship established by God between him and mankind. The anointing was no longer to be for a single purpose, a single person in a particular place and time. Rather, there'll be a new anointing released at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all people as foretold by the prophet Joel. Joel 2 says, when after doing all these things, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, says God. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And so the punchline comes in Acts chapter 11. It goes like this. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul who had become Paul. And when they found him, they brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there in the church for a whole year, teaching a large crowd of disciples. And it was at Antioch that believers were first called Christians. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And a Christian does not mean a follower of Jesus Christ. Christ means the anointed ones. And Christians means the anointed people. The anointed one is no longer a person. The anointed one is now a whole people. That people is the bride of Christ. That people is the church. That people is all those who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The same spirit that rushed upon David for a season that now fills God's children. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in all of us. We are the anointed. You and you and you and everyone who is a follower of Jesus. We are the Christians, the anointed ones of God. We are the ones who represent heaven upon the earth. We are the ones who are holy and set apart for God's purpose in this season. We are the ones who bring the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. So turn to your neighbour and those who are and tell them, You are anointed. You are appointed. For such a time as this, you are not here by mistake. God has a good purpose for your life. And all God's people said it like they meant it. Amen. 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 Have you ever been in a situation, maybe it was a job, maybe you joined a club or a sports team or a society and you just didn't feel like you fit in? You were allowed to be there. You were even supposed to be there. But you never felt like you were part of the in crowd. Always a newbie. Never one of the old guard. I remember a job that I had about the time we were planting Hope Church. And when I joined this company, the entire rest of the management team were people who had been there practically since the company was founded. They all knew each other really well. They all had lots of war stories of all the stuff they'd gone together, all the problems that they'd overcome, the scars that they shared. In every situation, I always felt like a bit of an outsider. And if I'm honest, it began to affect how I did my job. Because although I was supposed to be there, although I had responsibilities and even authority to carry them out, I didn't do it very well because I never felt comfortable or confident in that situation. I was appointed to do a job. I had all the authority and responsibility given to me to get it done, but I never really stepped into it. Never picked up the mantle, if you like. And within a few years, I left to do something else. Some might call it imposter syndrome. Some might call it a lack of self-worth. But if you don't accept the truth and the reality of what you have been appointed to, you will never be effective. And you will never get the results and fulfill your potential for what God is calling you to do. And we all, brothers and sisters, have been anointed and appointed to something that's far more important than any job or social club or sports team. We have been anointed and appointed to be God's representatives here on earth. For such a time as this, we are here. We are the anointed. You and you and you. We are the ones who represent heaven upon the earth. We are the ones who are holy and set apart for God's purposes in this season, wherever God has put you right now. We are the ones who bring the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. So, once more, and get it right turn to your neighbor and tell them, You are anointed, you are appointed. For such a time as this, you are not a mistake. God has a good purpose for your life. And all God's people said it like they really meant it. Amen. Now, before we finish, just want to quickly circle back to the idea of anointing with oil. Because this is something that we see happening in the New Testament church. We, know, we, we do things that do things. And anointing with oil is one of those things. In some traditions of the church they might call it a sacrament or a sacred symbol but in the book of James to the 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 early Christian church he says this in chapter 5 is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So a few months ago, as I started planning today's message, I spoke with Ian, who's on a holiday today, but you may not know, he's a bit of an expert in the realm of fragrances and oils. So I asked him to create me two things, inspired by the ingredients and the plants mentioned in the Bible, can you create an aromatic oil that we could use for anointing people when we pray for them? And could you create a more intense version of that fragrance that we could stick some reeds in and make, use it to make the world smell better—the aroma of hope, you could say. Well, I have here the first trial beta bottle of what's called heaven scent. (Laughter) <laughs> It is, it is the anointing God. I have the anointing God, and I have here the elders of the church. If anyone among us is sick, as Vicki leads us in a final song of worship, come down, and that the elders would anoint you with oil and pray with you that God would raise you up and hear you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit poured out on your church on Pentecost and on us this day and on the day we were saved into the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Lord, we pray that we would indeed be your representatives this week wherever we go, wherever we do. That we would bring heaven into every earthly situation with wisdom and grace. That we would know your purpose in this season and have the courage and the faith to follow your prompting and your guidance to take the step of faith when it was needed. And all God's people said it like they meant it. Amen.